You're listening to the Bethel Community Church Podcast. Our podcast normally showcases our weekly sermons here in Chicago at 7601 West Foster. Now, podcasts are great, but they do not replace the care and community you receive from the local church or from your local pastor. So we encourage you to come join our community or contact us to help you find a community in your area. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you listen. Enjoy. for us. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord God, we are so thankful this morning. We can't help but come to you, God, with thankfulness in our hearts and gratitude overflowing for the work that Jesus completed on our behalf on the cross and after he conquered the grave. So God, this morning, may we worship you with gladness. God, this morning as we take our offering as well give generously, hilariously, because God, you have given so much to us, and you ask so little in return. So God, this morning, we first, we give you our heart. We give you our lives. God, we ask that you take this offering and do what you always do with it, God. Use it to your glory and for your goodness and for your kingdom. Amen. You may be seated. Now, a special Easter treat this morning. can see we're a little nervous but very excited to be here. We're going to open our Easter program today singing Jesus Loves Me. My heart so happy I could sing. My heart so happy I could sing. Okay, now we have David. Okay, David, this is David, and he's going to say, Christ is risen, he is king. <laughs> 
Okay, Otis. Come on, come on, come on. Here's Otis. And Otis is going to say, All our praise to him we bring. All we praise to him. Good job. Okay, now we have Grace. And Grace is going to say, Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross. <laughs> okay, and Naomi, come here, Naomi. Grace, can you just move over a little by Roman? Okay. Naomi's going to say, Jesus died for you and me. Jesus died for you and me. And here's Faith. And Faith is going to say, he is risen. He is risen. <laughs> okay, Bruce. Come here, Bruce.
I wasn't trying to run away. I was just having to get the other pulpit, but they have this one, so we will flex and we will go with what we have. Actually, it is great to have you all with us uh, this morning. See some familiar faces, not older faces, but just faces that we are seeing again, and so it's great to have you. He truly, he has risen. We can try that a little bit better. He has risen. So That is so true, and that's why we're here together today, just to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Actually, I think back about a number of years ago, we do thank the worship team for being with us, but I think of Dr. David Keyes, who was an anesthesiologist. He's a medical doctor who let me know that actually, when you go into surgery, it's really, uh, he is the one that determines whether you live or you don't. Now, ultimately, it's God, but he just realizes the power of an anesthesiologist, because they're the ones that pump the uh, medical... uh, uh, medications, the anesthesia into you, and they're the ones that really determine. So I just all of a sudden realized how serious that is. But anyway, he was a really direct person, and I remember him saying, uh, Paul, would you, uh, he actually helped with the birth of our son. Uh, he was there, so that's where I got to know him initially, but he said, wanted to have lunch. He started coming to our church, and so I just, and this is in Arizona, so I said, he said, will you have lunch with me? And I said, I'd love to have lunch with you. So we sat down, he's a direct person, and right off the bat, he said, prove to me the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He went on to say uh, that all of Christianity, as far as, he was, uh, as far as he was concerned, rested on whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. He said if he didn't, then it's all meaningless, but if he did rise from the dead, then it means it's true and we need to believe. And so I sat there, he was very direct, very accurate, and I remember talking with him and I just said, hey, all of Christianity does rest on Christ's resurrection. I said, first of all, uh, I described the life of Christ. And I just said, you know, we know that he rose because, first of all, look at his life. He lived a life of love and care for people. He saw this, uh, he, uh, whenever he saw the sick and the hurting, he felt compassion for them. So those who were blind, he enabled them to be able to see. The ones who couldn't hear, uh, he enabled them to hear. The, the ones who were deaf, so they could speak. The ones who couldn't walk, he could walk. Even those who had leprosy. Um, he, he healed them. Even those who died, he, di- he ruined every single funeral. Jesus ruined every funeral that he went to because he rose the person who had died. And so it always changed the dynamics of wherever he was. But he had that kind of power. Um, we also, in spite of his great love and power, though, however, uh, the religious leaders were jealous of him, uh, of his popularity. And so they had him arrested, they had him whipped, they had him hung on a cross. Uh, and then uh, he died. Uh, having lived a perfect life, never sinned, never had a bad thought, and never said an unkind word or a selfish motive behind anything that he did, um, he died as a substitute for us. Then I went on to say three days after his death um, and burial, Jesus rose from the dead. And so the proof of the resurrection is that many people saw Jesus. There was Mary, of Mag- Mary Magdalene, and also the other Mary that we're going to read about later on in just a few minutes. But then there was also uh, the two men on the road to Emmaus who saw him. He appeared twice to his disciples as they hid. Um, he appeared uh, a second time to seven of them when they were on the Sea of Galilee. More than 500 saw him at one point. It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So all these people who saw him. Uh, but also what's important is that the 10 of the disciples all died martyr deaths. And so as I'm talking with him, I'm just saying, these are all the different evidences how we know that the resurrection took place. I said, 10 of them, uh, you know, undoubtedly if, 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 uh, if one of them knew that the body had been stolen, they would have fessed up, but they died. You don't die for a, for a lie. You just don't do that. 
and even uh, one of the disciples, John, was imprisoned for life. Someone would have said, no, we'd stash the body. Or even the body, had anyone ever seen the body of Jesus, it would have been proof that, hey, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And so I, I went over to some other answers. I said, but the most significant thing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that the lives of the 11 apostles, his followers, were all dramatically changed. On the night that Jesus was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, they all fled. They all left him. But then each of them came back to strong faith. Their lives were radically changed. They were moving from being, uh, being, uh, being very scared to literally being promoters and ultimately being martyrs for the faith of Jesus Christ. I said, that's, that's evidence that, that Jesus really did rise from the dead. See, Dr. Keyes then put his faith in Christ. He attended our church in Arizona. I actually officiated his wedding, dedicated a couple of his children, and it was exciting to see God work in his life. Now, today is a very special day for us as Christians. It's referred to as Resurrection Day. It's the day that we celebrate that Jesus Christ is alive because he has risen. Now, again, you guys were a little weak on that, okay? He has risen. You're going to say this a few times tonight, so just get used to it, because that is the key to our Christian faith. It is. But the question we're going to be looking at today is, what impact does it have in our lives? How are we any different because of what happened some 2,000 years ago? See, that is the matchless, magnificent, and marvelous message of Easter. Our Savior, Jesus of Nazareth, is not dead. The tomb is empty because he is alive. This is our day of deliverance. We celebrate our rescue. The resurrection of Jesus is symbolized by the new Easter clothes that we wear, the bright and beautiful white lilies that we have. Most of all, the wonder of his resurrection is symbolized in the hope that beats within our hearts triumphantly. And that's why there's different hymns that celebrate this. Hymns like, Christ the Lord is risen today, alleluia, or we serve a risen Savior. I'd sing it for you, but I don't sing very well, so I will uh, just say the words. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever man may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. See, we desperately need that reminder this morning. See, it is true that the Easter message that Christ has risen. That separates Christianity from all the other world religions. No other religion uh, celebrates its founder's resurrection. Oh yes, various religions celebrate their founder's deaths, but none of them celebrate his rising from the dead. However, we know that Jesus did, did rise again. He was raised from the dead. We have that assurance and confidence that Jesus is alive. Uh, because, first of all, like we mentioned previously, many eyewitnesses, testimonies in the first century followers, the historic confirmation that comes to us from the empty tomb, but the transformation of his cowardly followers into courageous pillars of the church. As Pastor Alexander McLaren, a famous Scottish preacher from another generation, says, no fact in the history of the world stands on such firm evidence as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This morning we are going to focus not so much on the evidence of the resurrection as we will on the effects of the resurrection. 
What impact does the resurrection have on us? How are we any different because of what happened some 2,000 years ago? We will see that it causes radical changes in our lives. My prayer is that we would have the same longing that the Apostle Paul has in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. This is what he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. So you open your Bibles or your iPads to Matthew chapter 28. We'll look at just the first 10 verses here. The context of this passage is Good Friday. The suffering, the crucifixion, the death, and the burial of Jesus Christ. The king of the Jews, as the sign read above his head as he was, uh, as he was dying. A day of great heartache, sorrow, and grief. But as Tony Campalo so eloquently put it, Friday's here, but Sunday's a coming. And that's the hope that we have, is that Sunday, what we're celebrating today, is coming. So today is Sunday, and we praise the Lord for that. But turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28, verses 1 to 10, or look at it on an app, or you can read it on the, uh, on the TVs, uh, but let's read it, uh, I'll read this for us. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are seeking Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb uh, with fear and great joy, and, he, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Again, the question, what impact does the resurrection have on us? Well, first of all, I'd like to suggest that knowing Jesus has risen turns our fears into wonder. But before we move on in the message, let's just pause and just pray that God would ignite in our hearts just the appreciation for what Christ has done, dying for us, but being raised to life. Father, we thank you that uh, there's a powerful message to the gospel. Father, what we take so often for granted, and it's just something that we do at this time of the year, has life-altering impact as we allow our, as we trust in you and allow the truth of the resurrection to penetrate our hearts. Father, we thank you that you're a God who, uh, who loves us and who cares for us, a God who responds to all the ups and the downs of our lives to give us hope, to give us a future. Father, we love you, and we just thank you for your great love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we see here is that the stone was rolled back, not to let Jesus out, but to let the world in to the tomb. See, according to this text, we are given an example of how we are to respond to the reality of the resurrection of the risen Christ. Here we have godly women who, are, who serve as our guide. 
On the first day of the week, Sunday, we discover two women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Uh, Really, she's the mother of James and Joseph. If you look in the previous chapter, chapter 27 of Matthew, verse 56, that's what it says. Also in Mark chapter 16, verse 1. See, they were on their way to the tomb of Jesus. Their lives had been shattered. Just two days earlier, Jesus had been crucified. They had stood at the cross observing his agonizing death, watched the large stone be rolled in front of the entrance of the tomb owned by Joseph of Arimathea. And just as the sun was beginning to rise, the two Marys made their way to the tomb, carrying some spices so that they could anoint Jesus' body. Now they had come to check and see if Jesus, they had not come to check to see if Jesus had risen. They had no concept of that. That wasn't even in their minds at all. They expected the body to be there You know, interestingly, the unbelieving Jewish religious leaders had met with Pilate. Again, that's in chapter 27 of Matthew. They remembered what Jesus had said when he was alive. He said, after three days, I will rise. And that prompted them to request Pilate secure the tomb. But Pilate didn't want to be bothered. He replied, you just secure it with your own guards. So that is what they did. While the unbelievers remembered what Jesus had said, ironically, the believers did not remember or even believe it. The two Marys were concerned with how they were going to move the stone in front of the tomb of Jesus. That's what it says in Mark chapter 16, verse 1. However, when they arrived at the tomb, they discovered that the massive stone had already been rolled away by a severe earthquake. Then we read in verse 2 of Matthew 28. When the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, it caused the earth around the tomb to tremble violently. The angel came to open the secured and sealed grave. But not to let Jesus out. Jesus had the power to raise the dead on several occasions. He raised those who had died. He raised Lazarus and the son of a widow and of a young girl. The angel moved the stone not to let Jesus out, but to let the women and others in the to, uh, into the tomb to witness firsthand that it was empty. That's the hope that we have at Easter. Jesus had left the grave clothes behind as evidence that his body had not been stolen, but that he was alive. See, God the Father raised him. It tells us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 15. John and Peter then ran to the tomb and saw the grave clothes, and they believed that he had risen. That tells us that in John chapter 20. According to this passage, the first emotion that gripped the women on the first Easter Sunday was fear. After the angel had rolled the stone away, he sat on it. The appearance of this angelic being was like lightning, it says here. His clothes were as white as snow. The women were frightened. What had happened? See, we don't need to be afraid. Why? Because he has risen. The angel spoke to the women to calm their fears. The the angel said, don't be afraid, for I know that you're seeking Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he was laying. Notice how gently he reminded the women that Jesus' resurrection uh, should not surprise them because Jesus had told them what was going to happen. Three times in the book of Matthew, Jesus told his followers that he was going to suffer, he was going to die, but he would rise on the third day. He told them that on several occasions. The angel instructed the women to go and tell his disciples the comforting news that Jesus had risen. Jesus had been raised from the dead. Their loving and caring Savior had been resurrected. He who had healed the sick, freed the oppressed from Satan, cleansed those that had leprosy, raised the dead, comforted the mourning, and forgiven the sinner who had died. He had risen. 
It was incredible news. The two Marys hurried away uh, from the gravesite with tremendous fear. According to verse 8, it says, So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear. That Greek word is phobos, uh, which we get our word phobia from. Phobos uh, means harm, alarm, dread, terror, and fright. These women ran away scared uh, for good reason. When one considers that they had just been through, they had come to Jesus' tomb to pay their final respect to what they assumed was a lifeless body of a beloved friend. Instead, they experienced the result of a great earthquake. They discovered the tomb was empty. They saw this supernatural, angelic being, and they received the startling news that Jesus, their much-loved friend, their master, their rabbi, had miraculously been raised from the dead. That sequence of events would unnerve anyone, and even the bravest people would be afraid. But as verse 4 informs us, that when the Roman soldiers saw the angel, they were so afraid of the angel that they trembled, and it says they became like dead men. They were paralyzed with fear. I would suggest to you that the Jesus' resurrection should still have that kind of effect on you and on me this morning. Oh, not generate fear in that dreaded sense, but rather a sense of awe, which that word fear also can mean. Awe, a deepened respect, a reverence, a wonder of God, because God is at work. Some of us have heard the Easter story so many times that we've lost that awe and that wonder, that reverence of what has happened on this Easter Sunday. Dear friends, if Jesus Christ is alive, and he is, if he has risen from the grave, and he has, and if he is seated at the right hand of the Father up in heaven in all his glory, and he has and is, then what that means in practical terms for you and for me ultimately is that we're going to have an encounter with him. This is inevitable, and it's unavoidable. One day, each of us will meet him face to face. Each of us will give an account of how we've lived our lives. What the resurrection of Jesus assures us is that life is precious. It is purposeful because we are heading for a rendezvous with our maker and our master. Connie and Phil Allen are longtime members here at Bethel Church. Um, and they, uh, Connie ex- shared this experience with me just this last Friday as I was visiting with them at their home. She says, about 25 years ago, Brad Bacon, the pastor, and Craig Connor were pastors here at, at Bethel. Mary, one of the women from Women in Christ, came to her and asked her if the pastors would go and visit uh, her unsaved husband. He was on his deathbed at Resurrection Hospital here on Talcott. Uh, Since neither pastor was available, Pastor Brad Bacon uh, then suggested uh, that she go as a pastor. She said, you should go as a pastor, because the hospital had a a policy that um, unless you were a pastor, and even then you had to have the family's permission, you were not allowed into that section of the hospital uh, to see a patient there under those conditions. And so Connie said, well, I'm not a pastor, but you are, uh, Pastor Brad Bacon responded. Uh, You have been pastoring the women in... uh, the women in Women in Christ for all these years. That was a ministry, that, a vital ministry that, that Connie led for some 30 years here, uh, encouraging and supporting women. Many lives changed as a result of that. Well, uh, she, she went, uh, Pastor Brad 
Bacon went over the different verses, and then uh, he, uh, he, he shared with her a couple things that he, she could say to Mary's husband. So when Connie arrived at the hospital, Mary went with her up the elevator uh, to the waiting room area to warn her about her husband and especially his behavior. He had been ranting and raving uh, much of the night before that, so that she and her son felt that he was demon-possessed. And so she wanted to prepare Connie for that. Um, they had both gone home and they actually double locked all their doors because of just the experience that they had had uh, that night with, uh, with her husband. Well, at the time, Connie was doing a Bible study, experiencing God. And at the time, uh, she was learning how God had given Moses a God-sized assignment and also enabled Moses to do that uh, and that God would do the same thing for us. And that's the whole point of experiencing God, that if you can just accomplish it yourself, then it's probably not of God. God only wants to call you to something that you know you can't do. And that's so true in our Christian lives. And so uh, Connie writes that as I followed Mary into the room, I knew that definitely this was a God-sized assignment, and I had no idea what to do in this situation. So with much fear and trepidation, uh, she said, I was praying as I walked up to the room, uh, trying to have the faith that God would just as, just as God had helped Moses, that he would help me as well. Well, Mary introduced uh, her, to her uh, to Mary's husband and then shared some Bible verses and then prayed. And after a brief visit, she left. Uh, and so she, um, uh, she, there was no ranting, no raving, and she was very thankful for that. But the next evening, Connie again went uh, to Mary's husband's room. And that, again, was at Mary's request. And so she found that, uh, that Mary's husband was asleep. Uh, when she got there, and so she sat in a chair for a long time praying for protection and wisdom. Then she thought, well, what am I going to do? What, what am I going to say? So just when she was ready to leave, he woke up. And I, uh, she says, I went and I stood by his bedside and I shared some verses. Then I remembered a question that Pastor Brad had given me. Write this question down, a great question to ask, which is, what have you done to prepare yourself to meet God? Thought-provoking, but it's a real question. What have you done to prepare yourself to meet God? And she asked him that question, and he very, very softly answered me, well, what have you done? And then this is Connie writing, says, I shared with him when I was five years old, I knelt uh, next to my twin bed with my mother uh, by my side, and I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins, to, uh, for him to come into my heart, my life, and to be my Savior. Mary's husband then asked me to do the same for him. So she says, I prayed. I prayed for him. I prayed for Jesus to forgive his sins and to come into his heart and into his life. And then she writes, afterwards, he, he thanked me. Then she says, I felt like I was pray while I was praying for this dying man who lay so helplessly in bed that he was praying along with me. I have never felt such an overabundant joy as I did that day. As I was, uh, it was an experience that I'll never forget. I had obeyed the assignment that God had given me and that I had seen in an amazing way how he had enabled me to do so. Then listen to what she says. I found out the next morning Mary's husband could no longer talk and a day later he died. I have the hope that I'm going to see him one day in heaven. We never have any idea what our conversations are going to have. But do you notice again a great question what are you doing to prepare yourself to meet God? 
Very crucial question that we need to ask. Well, the answer is obvious. You put your trust in Jesus Christ. You accept uh, his death on the cross for your sins. You experience his forgiveness and the free gift of eternal life. See, it goes to John 3, 16. For all have sinned, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's what it all comes down to. Our eternal destiny. We think this life is long, and we may live 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, some 100 years, nothing compared to all eternity. What are we doing to prepare ourselves to meet our maker? The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Uh, he's gonna, he describes what's going to happen one day. And this is what he writes. He says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul's language here in Philippians 2 is very encompassing. Take note that every knee should and will bow, and every tongue should and will confess Jesus is the risen Lord. That most assuredly includes you and me. Your knee and my knee will bow before Jesus, either voluntarily or we will be compelled to do that. And every tongue will confess that, yes, Jesus Christ is Lord. In spite of what our, our country may say, and we're going further and further away from a Christ-centered, a God-honoring, a, a Scripture-respectful uh, uh, direction. That's what's happening. We're getting more and more anti-God and anti-Scripture. And God won't tolerate it. God takes sin seriously. So we need to be praying for our leaders. We need to be praying that, that they, their hearts will soften. Oh, it's easy to criticize but we need God in our country. Otherwise, we just go further and further away from, from Him. See, these are sobering words, even a bit scary. We need to react to the resurrection of Christ with reverent fear, awe, and wonder. As George Sweeting, the former president of, of Moody Bible Institute, has expressed, the simplest meaning of Easter is that we are living in a world in which God has the last word. That's just the way it is. I don't care what happens in Washington. I don't care what happens in the different countries of the world. We shouldn't care because we know that God has the final word. We're ultimately responsible to him, and that's the sobering fact. So what are we doing to prepare to meet him? That's a very important question. The resurrection of Christ is to have a wholesome and healthy effect on our lives. We need to be prepared to meet God. Like Mary's husband, we need to trust in the Lord, repent of our sin, stop living our own way and start living His way. We need to believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, my sins, your sins. See, He rose from the dead and gave us victory. And that's what's so important to realize. What impact does the resurrection have on us? Well, first of all, we see he turns our fear into wonder, into awe. And then secondly, we see that he turns our sadness into joy. See, knowing Jesus is risen turns our sadness into joy. Notice verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear. That's with awe and with wonder and with great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. See, realizing that Jesus is alive fills our hearts with abundant Joy. That's the second emotion that the women experienced as they left the empty tomb was joy. Their wonder and reverence was tempered with joy. They weren't just, re uh, they weren't just rejoicing. Notice it says with abundant joy. That's with exuberant, overflowing joy. See, their joy far exceeded 
uh, any fear that, th that they may have or what they felt. They're, they felt great joy because now they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that their friend, their master, their teacher, their Messiah, he was alive forevermore. Their sadness over his death had turned to exuberant joy. In the, in the hymn, Christ arose, one of the verses says, death could not hold us, pray. Jesus, my Savior, he took the bars away. Jesus, my Lord, up from the dead he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose victorious over the dark domain and he lives forever in, in the, with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose. Hallelujah, Christ arose. That's what we celebrate. It should move us to have tremendous joy, exuberant joy that overflows. I love what, uh, what, what William Barclay points out. He says, the person who has met the risen Lord will ever live in the joy of the presence of him from whom nothing can part them anymore. In other words, we live in the presence of God continually, and that's the joy that we experience moment by moment through all the ups and all the downs of life. We also see that encountering Jesus imparts joy into our lives. And that's what it's saying in, in the first part of verse 9. The women had not only heard the angel's message that Jesus had risen, and then they, see, they saw the empty tomb with the burial closed. They actually met the risen Christ. Look at what verse uh, 9 uh, clearly tells us. It says that Jesus met them, and he, greets, he says greetings to them. Or in other words, good morning. Greetings was sort of a common uh, response that you met with people back in those in the first century it's equivalent to our hello hi how are you uh, and sort of we say it rather flippantly but that's an understatement of the momentous occasion that occurred on, at that time see this wasn't just a good morning it was a great and a glorious morning because Christ had been raised from the dead they met the one who was life he claimed Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. He says that in John. He freely and fully comforts those who have put their faith in him as their Savior and as their Lord. Receiving uh, victory over death, imparting life to us, gives us that abundant joy. That's why Jesus says in uh, John chapter 15, verse 11, that his desire is that his joy may be in us and that, we, that our joy would be complete, be full, would be overflowing, would be exuberant, in essence, is what he's saying. One theologian, Dr. Krath uh, Davis, had this comment to say. He says, what makes available to all men uh, in his redemptive grace is the cause of great rejoicing. Joy is not an isolated, occasional uh, consequence of faith, but rather an integral part of one's whole relationship to God. The fullness of joy comes when there is a deep sense of the presence of God in one's life. And that's true joy. God is with us. He walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way because he lives. He lives. He lives within us. Now, retired pastor Tom Wallace ministered out of, on the East Coast. He shares his favorite sermon illustration from his own pastoral experience. He was a senior pastor of Bible Baptist Church in Elton, Maryland. One morning, a young man came into their auditorium. Uh, pastor Tom had never seen him before, never had any knowledge of his being involved in any services or any involvement in any of the activities of the church. He came down to the front and he sat in the second row. 
As Pastor Wallace was preaching the word, he expounded on the gospel of the Lord Jesus. The visitor sat up, he soaked up the truth, he listened with rapt attention. At the end of the service, when the pastor asked if there was anyone this morning that would like to put their trust in Jesus Christ, his hand shot up. When an altar call was given, he was the first one down. He jumped up from his seat. He practically ran the rest of the way up to the front of the, uh, up to the, front of the podium uh, to get to the pastor and the counselor. That day, he put his faith in Jesus Christ. Now, there was an upcoming baptism uh, that, that was mentioned, and they signed up for that. And it seemed like an eternity, some a few weeks away, between his conversion and the night of his baptism. As he stood in the baptistry, the pastor that evening uh, just... Uh, his. Uh, uh, Tom's face just, uh, uh, the, the man's face just lit up with great joy. So as he was down in the, as he went in, we did this last week. We had 17 people getting baptized. We had the same similar joy. But as this man went down into the, into the, um, into the water to symbolize his death, and then he's raised to new life, he comes out of the water and he leaps for joy, not making sure he did not knock the pastor out, but he said, hot dog, hot dog, hot dog. He was thrilled with what had happened. And the pastor went on to say, well, you know, uh, this young man doesn't quite know the lingo of the, Christian, uh, of the Christian community. But what he went on to say, but he's expressing the desire of his heart, of what happens when Jesus works in our hearts. It is a hot dog world that we live in, and we do want to celebrate that. And that's the same joy that we had here as person after person was baptized. There is that sense of joy that the person has, but also the rest of us have as well. And so it stands out, that's the kind of exuberant joy that we are to illustrate and that we are to have uh, as we meet with people. See, when you meet the risen Lord, there's an abundant joy in your life. He makes a hot dog world, doesn't he? Jesus said, I came that you might have life and they might have it abundantly, John 10.10. So much so that the overflows out of our lives is the joy that we have, the song in our hearts, the smile on our faces, the feeling with audible or not that this is wonderful and God is at work. See, what impact should the resurrection have on us? Well, first of all, we know that, uh, that it, it turns our fear into wonder. It turns our sadness into joy. And then thirdly, our worry into worship. And that's the response of the women. Knowing that Jesus has risen turns our worry into worship. In verse 7, the angel said to the women, Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. And behold, and then in verse 9, drop down to verse 9, And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet. And they worshipped him. The angel instructed the women to go quickly and tell his disciples the great news of Jesus' resurrection. As they approached the disciples, uh, what if they questioned the report uh, of th that they saw an angel? What if the, the disciples didn't believe them? What if they didn't believe that the tomb was empty because Jesus had, been, had, had risen? After all, they were women. In that culture, they didn't believe them many times. It was very possible. Or what happened if they thought, well, you know, maybe we just hallucinated. Maybe we just had a dream. Maybe we had a vision of what Jesus was like. Maybe this didn't really happen. Then they would have the, the different worries and the different concerns. The concern of, well, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Did, did the angel really tell us that the tomb was empty because he had been risen? Had all these doubts swirling in their heads, all their concerns uh, that they could have had. They could have thought, well, man, we were, just, we were just fools. But the key is that meeting Jesus causes us to worship and to adore him. 
See, as the women hurried from the tomb to go tell the disciples about Jesus' resurrection, suddenly Jesus met them. Verse 9, it says that. Instantly they recognized him, and they saw him, and they heard his voice. Uh, they demonstrated their love and their devotion to him. By literally, they fell down on their faces before him, and they took hold of his feet. Now, in our culture and in our time, only a podiatrist would want to do something like that. Who else would want to be on your feet? They're dirty. They stink. Yes, your feet stink too. All of ours do. But that's what they, no one would do that in that culture unless they really, what they were doing is they were pledging their allegiance. They fell at his feet. They hugged his feet because in essence they were saying, you have all that I am. You have all that I am. And they're pledging their allegiance to him and their devotion to him as well. See, he has ultimate authority. Um, Jesus says at the end of this chapter, in chapter 28, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Uh, in essence, he is saying, I am Lord. I am God. I am sovereign. That's his very person. Each follower of Christ needs to acknowledge and submit to that authority and take hold of his feet. Like Thomas, when Jesus stood in the presence in John chapter 20, verse 28, um, he, we need to cry out what Thomas cried out, my Lord and my God, recognizing that when they, he put his hand in his side and his finger uh, in Jesus' hand, that this truly was Jesus. And that's to be our acknowledgement. But we have to acknowledge that we're sinners. We can't save ourselves. Uh, we're in desperate need of salvation, and only Christ can offer that to us. We are spiritually desperate and destitute and even dead before God. Without Jesus, we will never make it. Once we put our faith in Jesus, he forgives us of our sins, and we receive the free gift of eternal life. Uh, and that means we will spend eternity with him in heaven. We need to recognize that that's the greatest discovery that we have is when we put our faith in Christ. That's what Mary's husband experienced when she put her faith, when he put his faith, and even though it was for a couple days, but he, he was uh, able to uh, have the assurance that he was going to be with, uh, with Jesus Christ for eternity. See, that's the supreme discovery of my life as well. How about your discovery? Have you come to put your faith in Jesus Christ? I was just a young boy at five years of age, and I was convicted of my own sinfulness. And through the years and decades, I have grown in my knowledge and, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The convictions uh, have not diminished over the years. If anything, uh, it has become more intense and more pressing, more riveting. As I draw closer to him, he is my light. Uh, the greater awareness of my own inner darkness. I am utterly and completely dependent on Jesus Christ. He knows the dark places in my life. And he still loves me and he sees me through that. See, we need to submit to Christ as, as, uh, as sinners, but also as servants. Um, as followers of Christ, we are saved to serve him. Um, and we're instructed in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, He died for all. Those who live should live uh, not for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That's the hope that we are to live for him. We are to serve him uh, with our time, our talents, our treasures, our resources in essence. We are to bring glory to his name and we're to be blessing to each other. Our service is an act of worship to the Lord. We are to come to church to serve, not just to sit. We're not just to come here to sit soaking sour. Sour has the idea of complaining, in case you didn't catch the analogy that I was trying to lead us through there. See, one person had this admirable attitude. Listen to this, and you should write this down. This is just a brief sentence. It says, Lord, let me do what I can while I can. A great way to live life. Lord, help me do what I can while I can. 
while I still have the, the strength and I still have the ability. See, that's what it comes down to, people, is investing our lives in God's work. And if you have a problem with, if you are not a problem, but if you're struggling with work, can I get involved? Just talk to the staff. Talk to one of the elders. We can show you there's lots of opportunities to work with our children in Sunday school. Awana have different programs that are going available, or with our with our youth in our in our uh, jam program for junior high and our powerhouse for high school. Lots of opportunities for adults. There's Bible studies. There are different ministries that you can be involved in. There's the tech team. There's also the worship teams. Lots of opportunities. And if you want a cross-cultural experience, I can help you in that area. Because you know what's coming next? I'm going, back to, uh, I'm going back to Haiti in July. I'm going July to the, uh, 10th to the uh, 24th for two weeks. You can come for five days. You can come for the whole two weeks. The elders just approved that. My 10th visit there. I'd love to have you come along. Just do what you can when you can. Because all of a sudden those days come and go. And are we doing that as a church family? I pray that we are. Lots of opportunities to get involved in medical clinics over in Haiti. Also, uh, we have different work projects. Uh, we play at the orphanage with the kids. Just countless opportunities. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit risky. Some people say, well, is it safe there? And my answer is, it depends on who you talk to. Um, you talk to Pastor Jeff there, he says, yeah, I just talked with him just two days ago. Uh, talked with him and just said uh, the opportunities and it was all coming together. I'm going to teach on spiritual war, uh, warfare, do uh, three, uh, three different seminars and also teach a class on spiritual life. Lots of opportunities to get involved. I want to do what I can while I can because we're never guaranteed another day. So the question is, are we doing it? So it's just, it's, it is a bit sobering, but it's also exciting because you see that God opens up all kinds of opportunities for us as a church. And so if you want to get, get involved in ministries here, and there's also in ministries abroad as well. But see, that's what life is all about. Now what we see is that Jesus accepted worship from the women. Now that, that implies, okay, well, who is this Jesus? Because we're only to, we're, we're only to worship God. And so what, what we see is that he, uh, he does mention very clearly uh, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That's what Jesus instructed Satan about. Uh, and Jesus accepts the worship of these women. Why? Because he is God. And he accepted what, was worthy, uh, what he was deserving of. That's why Jesus asserted, I am the resurrection life. Well, that's only God who says that. Only he, of all the religious leaders, were able to make that statement. And that identification. See, what is a simple definition of worship? It's responding to God in such a way that gives worth to God. It's, worship is just giving worth to God. That's what's important, and that's what these women were doing. They were giving worth to God. Uh, they, 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 uh, they recognized who He is. He's the Savior. He's sovereign. He's shepherd. He's their sin bearer. But see, is that how you feel about Jesus this morning? This Easter morning is the conviction of your heart, the cry of your lips to worship Christ, the Savior of the world, who died for your sins and rose again. There is the way, uh, uh, that is the way that we are to worship God and that we're to come to Him. Uh, see, it's so important to realize that what impact does the resurrection have on us? It first of all turns our fear into wonder, it turns our sadness into joy, and it also turns our worry into worship. And fourthly and finally, Knowing Christ has risen turns our silence into witness. 
Jesus said to them, do not be afraid in verse 10. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there you will see me. See, fear and sadness often causes us to be silent. The women could have been intimidated. They could have been fearful. What's going to happen uh, when Rome or the Jewish authorities, how would they treat them? Their lives were in danger as followers of Christ. Fear could immobilize them, uh, as could their sadness. They could, have just felt, they could have just felt, hey, there's, there's no hope for us, uh, and no one's going to believe us. But no, what happened is they were, their joy was so exuberant that they had to share with other people. They had to share the joy of what, that Jesus was alive. You see, the gospel necessitates us to be witnesses. The final way the women responded to the resurrection of the Lord was through witnessing. Look at verse, uh, first of all, verse 7. There are three references to go and tell. In verse 7, the angel tells the women to go and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Verse 8, it says that they ran and they told the disciples. Verse 10, as they're on their way, they meet Jesus and he commands them, go and tell your brothers to go meet me in Galilee. Go and tell. It's a strong emphasis here. The women had the greatest news of all time. The women and the disciples' lives were radically changed by the gospel. They shared the gospel of Jesus' death and his resurrection with others, and they turned the world upside down that Christ had risen, and he had risen indeed. They were convinced and it burned in their hearts, and they shared that with others. We need to follow their example of going and telling how Jesus paid the a penalty of sin, dying on the cross, and then he won ultimate victory over death on their behalf. Because he lives, we too can live. The question is, are we telling that to others? Do others around you, friends and family members, do they know? I'd like to just conclude with a story that occurred years ago in the city of Edinburgh, Scotland, and which is known for its Princess Street, was there was a number of beautiful shop windows with various kinds of attractive displays. A gentleman was walking along the boulevard, stopped to stare at a painting of the crucifixion in one of those windows. There was Jesus hanging on the cross. A crowd was gathered around Jesus on the, in the picture, and off to the side uh, there were various women. It was clear that one of these women was Mary, the mother of Jesus. Looking at the picture stirred the man's soul. He began having thoughts and feelings that he had never uh, really had before. Uh, tears welled up in his eyes as it trickled down his cheeks and as he contemplated the pain that Jesus suffered when the nails were being driven into his hands and his feet. The man realized that he wasn't there staring at the painting by himself, but a young boy had joined him and stood right next to him. Looking down, the tearful man said, Sonny, do you know who that is in the picture? And the little boy replied, why, sure, that's Jesus. He was a very good man. He never did anything wrong. He was always kind and loving and thoughtful and tenderhearted. But there was a bunch of people back in those days who didn't like him. So they took him and they beat him up. And then they put him on that cross to die. Do you see that lady over there on the side of the painting? Well, that, that's his mother, Mary. And I bet she was very sad when she saw her son dying like that. It makes me sad too. Does it have that effect on you too, mister? Well, indeed it had. He started to walk down the street. He had walked quite a distance when all of a sudden he felt a tug on his, on his coat. And there was a young boy who no longer was sad. Uh, now he was very happy. A big joy of a smile on his face. He said, mister, I forgot to tell you the best part. Jesus didn't just die on the cross. They put him in the grave and he rose again. He's alive. The little boy ran down Princess Street just to tell the gentleman about the resurrection. 
Uh, it's the highlight to the whole momentous sacred weekend. On Friday, he died as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then on Sunday, Easter, he rose again as the Lion of Judah in power and glory as the one who truly is the resurrection and the life. Friday's here, but Sunday's a coming. Sunday is here. And that's the joy that we have this Easter Sunday. The resurrection of Jesus causes radical changes in our lives. It brings wonder. It brings joy. It brings worship. And it brings witness into our lives. Just concluding questions. Only you can answer. Have you embraced the gospel message? Do you love Jesus? Have you put your faith in him? Have you asked him to forgive you of the wrong and the guilt in your life? Secondly, is the gospel message transforming you? What difference is it making in our lives? Are we beginning to look more like Jesus? Are we becoming more loving and joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, have more self-control, forgiving, humble, compassionate? Are we forgiving those who have offended us? We have some things to deal with as a church, some reconciliations much needed. And that's what God is doing in our presence. God's at work, and we praise God for that. Then lastly, how do you need, uh, who do you need to tell that Jesus has risen? Relative, co-worker, neighbor. See, he has risen. This is your cue. Okay, that was very faint. That was probably the worst of all. Okay, you know, you're supposed to build momentum at the end of a sermon. He has risen. He has risen. And that's why we're gathered here today. If we can help you in a relationship with Jesus Christ, please come and talk with us. It's as simple as just like, like Mary's husband, just saying, I've sinned, I've done wrong, please forgive me. I accept Jesus' death on the cross for, our, for my sins. And we're given the free gift of eternal life, the forgiveness of our sins. Father, we thank you for the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you that, Father, we are people who have hope. We have a message that needs to be proclaimed. Father, we thank you that Jesus has been raised from the dead, and that gives us hope today. Father, I pray that you would work in each of our hearts. Some of us need to put our faith in Jesus Christ. It's as simple as just asking you to forgive us of our sins and, uh, Father, to come into our lives and to be Lord of our lives, to be Savior. And then others of us, Father, have just been living our own way, and so we need to live your way. Father, we need to do what we can while we can. Father, I pray that you would work in each of our hearts. Work in my heart, Father. May we serve you effectively and joyfully, with wonder, with awe, and yet with a witness to what Jesus brings into our lives. Father, we love you and thank you for your love for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.